Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Grateful to be with you today. Uh, My name is Ryland, and I am a Christian. And if I were to ask you, why do you think I am a Christian? I'm curious how you would answer that. In fact, uh, maybe if you want to think about that for a moment, even if you're feeling bold today, if you want to just write down an idea of how you might answer that, if I were to stop you and ask you, why do you think I'm a Christian? Uh, what What would you say? I'm curious how you would answer that. I want to talk to you about today why I am a Christian. When I was a teenager at Rockbrook in student ministry, we talked often about why we believe what we believe. When I was 20 years old, Pastor Kelly preached a message where he said, God expects you not only to know what you believe, but why you believe it. And that resonated with me and my young adult small group and I at the time worked that out together. And now more than ever, our world needs Christians who can explain to others what they believe, yes, but also why they believe it. Because many people in the world actually do not have a clue as to what they really believe, let alone why they believe it. And I want to give you an answer today for why I am a Christian. And I'm taking a very specific approach. I'm answering this question in in a very particular way. This answer has served me well in a number of ways. That's why I want to commend it to you today, because it will serve you well as well if you really sink your teeth into it and you really own it in a certain sense. There's only one reason why anyone should be a Christian and that reason is because Christianity as it describes the nature of the world and our lives is accurate and true. If you're taking notes, write this in. I am a Christian because Christianity is true. Now, when I say true, I mean true to the way The universe, the world, existence actually is. I do not mean true for me. I do not mean that this is my truth. I'm specifically stating it contrary to that. I mean that my belief reflects the world the way it actually is. If you say that it is and it is, or you say that it isn't and it isn't, that's truth. That's what we mean almost all the time when we use the word truth. Does your claim correspond to the way the world actually is? Does your news correspond to what actually happened? If I say, I'll just use a very simple illustration, a silly one, to show that there's nothing fancy about this. If I say I'm going to have a burger tonight, that statement is only true if I go to a burger place and order a burger and eat it. If I don't do that, or I don't intend to do that, then my statement is false. If, if I don't have a burger, but you leave here, you say that I did, and you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, well, I believe he had a burger, so my truth is that Ryland had a burger. And someone else says, well, my truth is that he didn't have a burger. That's what, that's what I believe happened. Well, I either did or I didn't, and there'd be multiple ways for you to find out. 
Again, a silly example to say there's nothing fancy about this. There's nothing mind-blowing about this. Unfortunately, you have to make this point so clear so that people understand it. So much of what people say is true has nothing to do with the outside world. They monkey with the definition of truth. They say my truth or your truth, like you have mine, or I have mine and you have yours, and they're equally true even though they may be complete opposites, completely opposed to one another. So I'm not a Christian. I am not a Christian because I feel great about being a Christian. I'm not a Christian because my family is or is not Christian. I'm not a Christian based on the nation in which I was raised. I'm not a Christian because of anything about me. If my reasons for being a Christian are reasons that only have to do with me, then those are vulnerable to a certain type of attack. As it turns out, I think Christianity is true. Christianity is true. Based on reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with me. I could disappear and it would still be exactly what it is. And, I, and because I'm a Christian, because it's true then I'm not vulnerable to a whole host of objections to Christianity that throw many Christians for a loop. Now, that brings up the question, then how do, how do you know what truth is? Is there a way to know the truth? Absolutely there is, yes. In fact, there are at least five ways that you can know the difference between what's true and untrue, what's real and what's unreal. And we're going to talk about that today. But friend, it all starts with an attitude of openness. An openness that says, I want the truth more than anything else. I want the truth even if it's uncomfortable. We find in John chapter 7 a powerful statement from Jesus. He was teaching. They started asking, where in the world did he learn all of this? And so Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. And then he makes the statement that this will stick with you. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. He said, do you want to know whether... I'm telling the truth or not? Let me ask you, do you want to do the will of God or not? Whoa. You'll know only if you're open to God's will. I remember the times I've done this in my life where I've opened myself up to the will of God, where I've said, God, I believe you're real. I'm open to you leading me. Jesus Christ, I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. I want you to change my life. I want to follow you. I want, to make your, I want you to make yourself real to me. I prayed that the first time. As a young boy, my mom led me in that prayer in a bedroom. I've prayed that prayer at the end of, of sermons my pastors have preached. I've prayed a prayer like that driving down the road in a, in a critical moment in my life. And do you know what happened each time I've prayed that prayer? Uh, not much. <laughs> By that I mean no bright lights shone down. No angels came into the room or in the car as I drove. Nothing glowed from the glove box. The hallelujah chorus didn't sing over me. But those have been massive turning points in my life. Why? Because I was opening myself up to the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
I was opening myself up to the will of God. I was opening myself up to Jesus Christ. And I was no longer biasing myself against God. And it led to radical salvation testimony in my life. Because I said, God, if you have a plan for my life, I don't want to miss it. How, how do I know? Let me ask you this question. How do I know what is true? Jesus said, when you know the truth, it will set you free. And you can know what is false. Truth can be discovered. Uh, how do we discover it? Let me give you five ways. The first one is we know what's true through creation. When I look at these instruments up here, these musical instruments up here, somebody had to make them, someone had to bring them. I learned there is an instrumentalist looking at the instrument. We learn there is a God by looking at nature. We learn a lot about God, a lot about truth, but just by looking at what he's made. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The first thing we figure out when we look at the world is that God, we learn a lot of things about God. God loves variety. God loves diversity. There's no one in the world exactly just like you. Praise God, right? <laughs> There's variety in animal species, and God doesn't want it all alike. He wants diversity. He wants variety. God is powerful. Have you ever seen a volcano or experienced an earthquake, seen a tidal wave, tide, waves? It's very obvious that our creator is powerful. We look at the world, we know God is organized. The whole earth is an ecosystem. Things that we didn't even know related to each other, now we know are highly organized. Certain plants rely on certain animals. Certain animals rely on certain plants. Animals have symbiotic relationships where they rely on one another. The globe is organized. So we, the more we understand the planet, God's universe, how intricately he designed even our own bodies, we look at all of that, what else do we know? We know something is off. Something is broken. We, we see we have fallen from living up to what the designer designed. Again, in Romans chapter 1, it describes exactly what happened in the world. It says, God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they did not treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. We know the truth. How? One way is through creation. The, the verse said, open your eyes, and, and there it is. The fact that you can open your eyes and see is amazing. Your eyes are an amazing instrument. I was reading to my son before bed uh, this week one night, and 
there was an illustration about our eye and, and it said that when you're at about five months of development in your mother's womb, one million optic nerve endings stretched out from your brain and another one million optic nerve endings stretched out from the back of your eye to match up, all one million and one million to match up perfectly those optic nerve endings. Even the most technologically advanced machine on the earth is nothing compared to the magnificence of your eyes. It's an amazing instrument and where there is an instrument, there is a designer, there is an instrumentalist. The God who created all the wonders of the world created your eyes to see them. Open your eyes, and there it is. Number two, we know what's true through creation. We know what's true through conscience. There are some things that are hardwired into us by God that we know are always right and always wrong, no matter what anybody else says. Our conscience tells us this. The Bible says this in Romans 2, Romans chapter 2. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, so that at the time, it's like, it's like they were saying there are people all around the world who do the right thing. They don't have a Bible, but they show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Say we take a, a random sample of one million people from around the planet, and we put them on a, the corner in New York City in Times Square, and we're going to ask them a moral question. We're going to say, here's a little old lady, she's 92, she's blind, she's walking with a walker. She needs to cross a busy intersection in New York City. Tell me which of these three options is morally right. One, you can ignore her and let her wander off and go by herself. You could help her get to where she needs to go. Or three, you could push her into oncoming traffic. Now we instinctively know, yeah, it's laughable because we instinctively know there's a right thing to do. Instinctively, we know there's some measure, even though I do not know her, there's some measure of love and compassion required of me. Regardless of who you are, you know what the right thing to do is. Inside, you know God wired it into our hearts, our thoughts, our conscience. The Bible says this in Proverbs 20, 27. The Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. In 2018 in Columbus, Ohio, there was a career criminal uh, they had been trying to catch for a while. And they finally caught. When he was caught, um, the people searching for him even said it's almost like he wanted to be caught because we, we've got him this time so easily. And, and when we got him, he didn't run. He didn't resist. He looked at everyone and said he was glad he got caught. He was tired. Where did that come from? He couldn't hide from himself. And actually, that's very common, very common. People talk about the relief they feel when they finally get caught, that they'll have done a crime, they'll do it again so they can get caught and be punished. They couldn't hide from themselves. Now, the problem with this one, with conscience, of all the sources of finding truth, this is the least reliable because the Bible teaches us that our conscience can be weakened, it can be warped, it can be hardened. Our conscience can become perverted in fact, it can be killed. So the more I violate my conscience, the more out of whack it gets. 
it just gets easier and easier to do the wrong thing. Just because my conscience lets me get so just because my conscience lets me get away with it doesn't mean that it's right. The simple point I'm making is that there are some things that are hardwired in us around the world that we know what's wrong, what's right, that had to come from somewhere. It came from truth. It came from God. We know what's true through creation. We know through what's true through conscience. Number three, we know what's true through consideration. We know it's knowable. It's intellectual. You can observe it. Truth is knowable. You don't just get truth by faith. You can test it. You can experiment with it. You can prove it. Truth is intelligent. It's rational. You can examine the evidence. If I'm going to Phoenix and you give me a map and I follow it and it takes me to Phoenix and then the next week I've got to go to Phoenix again and I use your map again and I do that several times and I use your map and it gets me to Phoenix every time, what have I discovered? This is a true map. It's reliable. I follow it. It gets me where I need to go. When I look at this map, it takes me to Phoenix. It, it doesn't take me in the wrong direction to Detroit. It doesn't stop short in Albuquerque. This is a true map. In my life, I have been following this map called the Bible. I have found it to be true. It always takes me where it says it's going to take me. I don't always feel comfortable there. I haven't always liked it. Again, I'm not a Christian because of anything to do with me. I'm not a Christian because I like it or don't like it. I'm a Christian because it's true and God's word takes me where he says he's going to take me. But it always takes me there. We can, through consideration, know the truth. But many people never slow down long enough for consideration. They develop strong opinions on a myriad of temporary, earthly, secondary matters. They end up living life guided by culture, guided by the news, guided by issues that the world brought up. They never stop to think, where am I headed? Where am I going? What am I doing? And then guess what? They get mad at God because he didn't write something in the sky for them. The Bible tells us over and over, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. In other words, think through your life. Know where it's headed. Don't just kind of go out and drift through life. Spend some time in consideration, in observation. Am I on a true path? Why do I believe what I believe? Where is this taking me? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. They think about it. That means consideration. They're prudent. They think about it. They ponder the path of their feet. They think about what they do. I want to tell you today, friend, if you're a Christian, maybe no one has told you this lately, but I want to tell you, you're not crazy. You're not stupid. You're not lost. You're not blind. You're not weak. You're not uninformed. You're not fooled. I want to tell you, you're wise, you're thoughtful, you're prudent, you're smart, you're strong, you're right. 
John 3.33 says, anyone who examines this evidence will come to stake his life on this, that God himself is the truth. This is why here at Rockbrook, uh, we don't teach fear evangelism. In other words, we don't try to scare people out of hell and try to scare them into heaven. Why? Because it only lasts about as long as the fear does. You need to accept Jesus Christ, not because you're going to die tonight. You might. You need to be ready for that, but you probably won't. You need to accept Jesus, not because you're going to die tonight, but because you're going to live tomorrow, and you're going to need truth, and you're going to need hope to make it another day. You need to know his plan and his purpose and not waste another single day. I have found that when people take time to check it out, they inevitably come down on the side of the evidence. I'm talking about what Christianity is, not what people think it is. We learn the truth. I, I am a Christian because Christianity is truth. It is true. Abby, let's put this next one up here. I, how do we find out the truth? Through creation, through conscience, through consideration, and number four, through God's correction. Through what God tells us and the direction he gives us in the Bible. If I discover truth from the Bible, how do I know it's true? Let me ask this question. How do I know this book is true? Is there any objective evidence that shows me the Bible is true? Yes, there is. There's a world of objective evidence that says this book is true. We've talked about before the, the manuscript evidence and textual criticism. We've talked about the eyewitness accounts of all the miracles, uh, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. We've talked about the thematic unity from beginning to end, even though the writing spans uh, so many hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, one thing I want to highlight is the archaeological evidence that supports the Bible. The cities that it mentions are there, and they keep showing up. There have been times in history where historians have said, you know, there's no other record of this person. This person would have been famous, well-known, powerful at this time. No other record of that person. They said, uh, this capital would have been a civilization. This place would have been a city, would have been huge. How could it be that there's only the Bible preserved it, but there's no other place of it? And then archaeological digs have dug up an entire capital city or civilization that confirmed that the Bible was preserving truth. And now everybody accepts it as a part of history. Keeps happening actually every year. You can look up, look up recent uh, biblical archaeological discoveries. And a great resource for that is the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. that opened a few years ago. Uh, they do an amazing job with that. Um, There's simple places to do this. Like in Christianity Today, at the end of each year, they put up the top 10 biblical archaeological discoveries of that year. Uh, this one very powerful to me in 2018. The name of Pontius Pilate, the Roman who interrogated Jesus and then ordered him crucified. So Pontius Pilate would have been very powerful in that day. And uh, critics would say, uh, there's got to be something. How can it be that the, the Bible is the only place that we have Pontius Pilate? Has turned up for the second time in archaeological record. 
The first time his name and title were found engraved in a stone discovered in 1961. In 2018, scientists announced that a seal ring excavated at Herodium, a desert palace just outside of Bethlehem, also carried his inscription. This ring was likely worn by someone who was authorized to act on Pilate's authority and who would use the seal to create official communications. These discoveries, it's talking about all 10 that it had just listed, these discoveries, relatively insignificant individually, join with many other discoveries over the decades to give us a great deal of confidence in the historical details contained in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's read this one out loud together. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. Now, our modern 24-hour news cycle makes it appear like everything is important when it's not. You could probably go a week or two without the news, and friend, you'd just be, be just fine. You'd be alive, well, you'd make it. But you can't go a couple of days without hearing from God's truth and still grow to spiritual maturity. Jesus concluded his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with a story about Two different uh, men who built houses. One built his house on the shaky foundation of sand. The other built his house on the solid foundation of rock. When the storms came, the winds blew, the waves rose, rose, and everything crashed in. Jesus said the guy who built his house on shaky foundation watched his house collapse. But the guy who built his house on solid foundation of rock stood the test of time. And you're going to have plenty of earthquakes and storms in your life. Financial earthquakes. I thought I'd get an amen. Somebody, any better amen? Uh, earthquakes in your life. Spiritual earthquakes. Health earthquakes. Relational earthquakes. Moral earthquakes. You may have some career earthquakes and marital earthquakes too. The answer is not to focus all of your life's energy on the earthquakes and storms. If you do that, your life will be over before you know it, and all you've done is lived life for your problems. Because all you did in life was solve your problems. The answer is to focus on the foundation so that the problems, the earthquakes, just become mere distractions because your foundation is strong. If your foundation is not solidly built on truth that doesn't change, you're going to crumble. I'm excited, excited to announce that in September, we're launching a class at church called Foundations. If you want to look at the bottom of your outline with me, Foundations, core truths to build your life on. Foundations will take you through thought-provoking, life-changing explorations of core Christian truths. Nothing can beat the rewards of gaining a transforming biblical perspective on God, the world around you, and your life. This class is going to begin the week of September 19th. There are two opportunities. Uh, the staff that's putting this together believes in it so much, they're offering it twice uh, to make it more available. Sundays at 11 a.m., so it'll happen during the 11 o'clock service in the East Auditorium, or Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. It's going to run for a semester. So this course of foundations will be nine weeks. It'll finish before the holidays. Each week, you're going to have live teaching from uh, some of our staff, teaching on how can we rely on the Bible 
How do we know the Bible is true? Like I gave you one example of one archaeological evidence. Uh, there's much more than that. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, what does it mean that there's a trinity? And what does that mean for my life? The most important questions you're asking, your family's asking, your small group is asking. Now you could come as an individual. It would impact your life. You could come as a couple. That would impact your relationship or marriage. You could come as a family. Uh, if you've got teenagers or young adults, that's when I first went through the material of foundations. It impacted me. Or you could come as a small group. Your small group um, is looking for a place to meet this semester. Solid content and teaching that's ready to go, made for you. Uh, this semester, you could take foundations together as a group. Uh, we'll have discussion questions at the end of this class. So it'd be material ready-made for your small group if you want to choose to do that as a group this semester. Join us Tuesday night or Sunday morning. There's more foundations information at rockbrook.org foundations or in the Rockbrook app. There uh, you could sign up to come. There's a place to reach out for more questions or um, I want to answer any questions you have. So just write foundations on your communication card if, you've got, if you want me to reach out or uh, Pastor Patrick who uh, is overseeing foundations for us to reach out and get your questions answered. Game on, everybody. Say yes. Yeah. We learn the truth through creation, conscience, consideration, God's correction, and the fifth and highest way is through Christ. God came in human form to personify truth. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He walked with people. He incarnated truth. He personalized truth. Jesus did not just stand on issues and keep throwing down commands and yelling at us to get it right. He came. Truth is not a principle. Truth is a person. It's relational. Truth is someone you can relate to. Truth is Jesus Christ. One of the clearest and most well-known verses in the Bible is found in John 14. 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice he said, I. Not a religion, not a race, not a ritual, not rules, not regulations. I, it's a person. Notice he said the word am. He says am, I am, not I might be. Not I hope to be, not I wish I could be, not I aspire to be. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the truth, the truth, not a truth, not part of the truth. He didn't say I'm a little bit of the truth. He didn't say I'm uh, one piece of the puzzle. He said, I am the truth. This, by the way, separates Jesus Christ from every other person on the planet. Every other leader, every other faith. Muhammad said, I am a prophet of the truth. He said, I teach the truth. Buddha said, I am searching for the truth. He made a very famous statement at the end of his life where he said, I am still searching for the truth. The Hindu scriptures say truth is very elusive. You've got to look for it. You don't really know if it's here or there. It's postmodernism, really. It's relativism. So you get all these different leaders saying, I'm looking for the truth, I'm teaching the truth, I point to the truth, I'm a prophet of the truth, I'm a piece of the puzzle. Jesus comes and says, I'm it, I am the truth. That's an incredibly divisive statement. It's either right or it's wrong. 
He's either who he says he is or he's not. A lot of people will say, well, I think Jesus was a great teacher. Eh, he couldn't be just a great teacher. It's impossible for Jesus to just be a great teacher because a great teacher, would he claim to be God if he wasn't? That's not good. In other words, if I stood up here today and said, my name is Ryland Walter and I'm a good teacher, you might go, that's a little conceited, a little arrogant, but I guess I came to church today and I might come back next week, so no big deal, I guess I'll go with it. If I said, my name is Ryland Walter and I'm a man of God, or my name is Ryland Walter and I speak the truth. Those things probably wouldn't force you to make a decision about me today. But if I said, my name is Ryland Walter, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you with God the Father. And the only way you're getting there and the only way you're getting to God is through me. Because I am the truth. Now we got a problem, don't we? Would that change our relationship at all? Would that change the conversation in the car on your way home? <laughs> now you've got to make a decision about me. Wow, our pastor's gone crazy. How are we going to help him not be crazy? Wow, our pastor's turned into a con man. He's trying to con us into something. Or he's right. Those are the options. When Jesus stood before his followers and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm one with God. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. It forced a decision. You can't sit on the fence about that one. Like, friend, you think you're in because you come to church? You're not in because you haven't put your trust in the truth yet. You haven't made a decision about Jesus Christ. This is your day. Make the decision. Everyone is betting their life on something. The atheist is betting their life that there is no God. He better be right. Or he's made a big mistake. I'm betting my life that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm betting my life that Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Have you examined the evidence? Have you checked it out? I have a reason. I have articulated why I believe what I believe today. Can you articulate why you believe what you believe? And you need to step across the line and say, I'm in. I have so much more to share. Um, but that's why this is a series. Uh, let's pray together. Maybe uh, you need to make today a day in your life where you pray this prayer and say, God, I'm stepping across the line today. Jesus, I realize there's nothing about you I can sit on the fence about. <laughs> there, there is nothing you said that I can be just okay with. I, I either believe it or I don't. And you're either the truth or you're not. And so I'm stepping across the line today to say, I want to know the truth. I want to be set free. I want to be set free from the earthquakes of life, the storms of life. God, I, I don't want when a storm comes for it to rock my whole world and belief system and everything about me. God, I want to have a strong foundation of truth in my life. And I realize that you're it. And I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. So God, as much as I know how, today, right now, with who I am, I bring all of me, my mindset, my problem, everything, and I give it to you. I want to believe in you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I'm putting my trust in you. 
It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.